Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey guys, so I'd love it if you could join our Facebook group, Digital Nomad and Freedom Fighter Collective. We're creating a movement here and I'd like you to join. Go on there and introduce yourself, share your goals with us, and join in the discussion. If you have any questions or comments, anything you'd like to share, feel free to reach out to me through the Facebook group. And as my personal gift, you can also find a free copy of my audiobook for Buy Your Own Island in the file section of that group. I really look forward to seeing you there and hope you enjoy this interview. Thank you. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, and I'm really excited for today's guest. His name is Scott Brills, and he's been a nomad even longer than I have. For the last five years, he's visited 30 countries a year on average, visiting about 15 countries per year. But he started all the way back in 2001, moving to Japan, and he's never had a real job in his life. He's an expert at creating and marketing businesses online ever since the age of 19. He also runs a successful web design business, Brothers Design, and also organizes group tours around the world. He has a brand, Pomoja Safaris. He leads culinary tours in Japan, adventure tours in Madagascar, and safaris in Tanzania. He's visited almost 100 countries by now. So this is going to be a really fun and exciting discussion about how to live this globetrotting lifestyle the way that Scott does, hear what he's learned these last 15 years, and learn how you too can create a vibrant, location-independent business where you're completely free to roam the world and just do whatever you want, basically. So Scott, after that long and illustrious introduction, just wanted to welcome you. Thank you so much, man. Scott, do you have your mic on? Oh, hey there, Danny. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate that that introduction. It makes you feel like a really big man now. <laughs> <laughs> Still learning how the microphone works, there, huh? Yeah, apparently you've got to press the space bar twice in Skype. Who'd have thought? <laughs> so you have so many highlights in your bio. I mean, you've been at this for so long, and you just kind of casually drop, you know, instances that, of your background that, you know, you casually drop in conversation about things you've done. But I'd like you to take me back to the beginning. Tell me about your backstory. You know, how did you get started on this path when you were 19? Did you ever go to university, or did you just jump right in? Uh, yeah, I went to university. Uh, basically, I, I had the, the travel, travel bug from a young age, uh, but you know, obviously, when you're when you're a kid, you're not able to really fulfill it as much as you might like. So I took the first chance I had uh, after graduating high school and did a study abroad in Japan. Really loved it uh, for it was about a year long, and uh, got back home and thought, oh wow, like I just want to do more of that. And so I was in I was in university at the time, and. I also started up my, my company then in 2002, my first company, uh, which was a web development company. And I chose that because uh, it would give me the freedom and flexibility and money to continue traveling whenever I had time. So 
I was able to to run and build the company. Um, it was a solopreneur type thing. You know, I was just doing it by myself, especially the first few years, uh, and l- learning the ropes. Um, but I, I liked doing it. I was pretty proficient at it, and, and I partnered with a few other people at times, and uh, we built our businesses together uh, before, you know, uh, digital nomads and whatnot was a thing. And um, I continued traveling, and, and at first it was you know, two months, three months every year in Japan, uh, taking a semester off of college. And then uh, as I grew my business and, and got more money and a little bit more flexibility, I eventually did six months a year, then eight. And now, on average, I'm, I'm out of the U.S. Uh, about 10 months a year. So tell me about that first trip when you went to study abroad in Japan and where did you go and what was so great about that experience? You know, why did you fall in love with traveling after visiting Japan? Uh, I'd, I'd always been interested in Asia uh, and at the time, uh, in my late teen years, I was really interested in video games and anime. I, I really uh, wasn't really like a sports guy. I, I often stayed inside, read books, played video games, that kind of thing. Uh, and I went to Japan and completely changed. I lost all interest in video games. Um, still read, but uh, you know, didn't really. Uh, you know, I really changed uh, what I liked and and came back a completely different guy in many aspects. Uh, even my taste buds changed. You know, be- before that, I thought pepperoni on pizza was too spicy, and then came back loving kimchi. Uh, even though it's it's Korean, but uh, I, I had a lot of it in Japan, and so I spent yeah nine months there. It was the first time away from home for an extended period of time uh, without parents or family. And I was there with 16 other students, and we were uh, in a town called Otsu, which is uh, on the shores of Japan's biggest lake, Biwako, uh, and about 10 minutes from Kyoto. And uh, went over there, studied. Uh, it was a work-study program, so we had a full schedule, uh, six days a week generally, three days uh, of classes all day, three days of working, you know, so nine to five every day just about. Uh, except for one day off a week. And we had a stipend that we got, and we had a free place to live, uh, which was right near our workplace, and we had uh, classes on the first level. It was a really cool program, and, and I grew a lot just by being around a lot of other uh, students, most who were uh, two or three years older than me, and learned a lot, uh, You know, went to my first uh, bar and had my first drink. You know, I was, I was kind of a late bloomer. Like I said, I, I was really into uh, video games and books and whatnot growing up and wasn't super social, didn't really play uh, sports, um, you know, besides more of the like solitary sports like swimming and uh, karate and whatnot. So I didn't really do team sports. So I, I went to Japan, uh, learned Japanese, quite you know, conversationally fluent uh, at the end. And made a ton of friends, uh, changed personality-wise, and um, and then after that, I was just like, oh, I, you know, I don't want to go to. I mean, I knew I had to finish university, but I don't want to finish university and then just get some office job. I, I thought, wow, like I, I don't think there's any way I could do that, especially since at the time, Office Space, the movie, was still pretty new, and I just saw that, and 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 I had wanted to become a programmer or a uh, graphic designer or 3D uh, animator. And I knew that it required a ton of time in an office in front of a computer and uh, that I would lose my ability to travel. And so I was just thinking, okay, how can I keep this up? I thought, okay, well, I'll start a company up for now and and maybe I'll find another opportunity later on. Uh, So it wasn't even, I didn't go into it thinking that I'd still be doing it um, almost 15 years later. But 
after a few years, by the time I graduated uh, university late uh, 2004, my company had built up to a point where I didn't need, you know, I stopped, had stopped looking for another job and I was bringing enough money to live off of and travel off of part of the year. I was generally happy. And so I just focused on uh, growing it from there. So that's pretty funny. You went to Japan and you lost interest in video games and such there. And that's like the capital of, you know, video games and anime and all of this stuff, manga, you know. But you kind of lost all interest in all that because I guess you kind of discovered there was more to life, right? I mean, if, if I look yeah, back... Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I mean, it, you know. I, I was quite a fan and... Part of the reason, not going to lie, I went over there was because I was really interested in anime and manga <laughs> and video games and stuff. You know, I was yeah. I was quite geeky. And uh, you watched Dragon Ball Z on uh, 5 p.m. on weekdays. Oh yeah, and even like Sailor Moon <laughs> back in the day, and like all that stuff. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I I, I went to anime uh, conventions like in California and. I, I was I was pretty big into it. Bought the art books and didn't didn't do the cosplay. Didn't didn't go that far, but I was really <laughs> interested in the animation techniques because I was very visual. I was always really big into art and design, and I really liked the clean lines and and the way that they animated and whatnot. So I was I was actually very interested in in more of a aesthetic perspective uh, in many ways. And um, yeah, and then I went over there and and I found out there's so much more to life. Uh, mm. And, and I, I became less of an introvert, uh, just being thrown out into Japan, you know, where you don't know the language and you're in a new spot and you're with a bunch of people you don't know. And uh, some people that were with us continued doing the same thing. You know, there, there were other uh, geeks or as they call them, otaku, uh, that uh, just kind of sat around and watched anime and stuff like that in the common room of our house or our apartment building. Um, but I really... Uh, fell in love with the country and the people, and I took every chance I got to explore it and to meet new people the entire time. And, and I think that's a big reason why uh, I changed uh, personality-wise. I feel like with video games, you know, when I was younger, I played video games, and I felt like it was I was always checking out. You know, it was kind of like a retreat from life. It was kind of like, you know, the male activity where when we deal with stress, we kind of just withdraw into our caves until. Uh, the problem goes away or, you know, we're ready to <laughs> merge again. And I feel like that was kind of like it for me, you know, dealing with like the stress of, you know, school or social pressure, things like this. And so, you know, if there was something that like bothered me or, you know, if I was upset because uh, I wasn't getting along with my friends or something like that, like I would play video games like the whole day, you know, and then I would kind of like numb me to feeling anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. I feel I, that way? I mean... Growing up, I, I can't really pinpoint too many, especially, you know, when I was younger uh, and just plodding through high school, just trying to get done with it. Uh, I I don't remember so many times where I was overtly stressed out or anything. I, I, I do know that ever since my earliest days, uh, you know, six years old and whatnot, I was begging for a Nintendo system and then a Super Nintendo, then an Ultra 60, or Nintendo 64. Um and I really loved games, and I especially loved uh, fantasy games because I was I would read a lot of fantasy novels, and so I got really into role playing games like Final Fantasy, and I really liked the uh, storytelling of it. So I, I liked the books, but I liked the games because you could control the story kind of uh, in much more of a way than you can with like a choose your own adventure book. Uh, and so I really loved the ability to be in this fantasy world, and you know, with the dragons and the magicians and whatnot. Uh, and 
and I don't know if it was a, an escape or not, but I, I just really liked it. And I mean, it got to the point when online games came out, you know, where you could actually, it wasn't so linear and you could interact with people from all over the world. Um, we're talking like uh, Diablo and Ultima Online and stuff like that for anybody that played it back then. Uh, mm. That I was, I got really into it, and like I would just, I would just play that for like six or eight <laughs> hours a day. Like it was like school and and the computer games, and I got really, really, really into it. I would say now looking back <laughs> to like an unhealthy level, uh, where I mean, yeah, I had a job uh, later on. So I, I had my job, school, and video games. But I would, like, the only thing I would wake up early for, uh, even before school sometimes, is to go down and, like, check how my character was doing in Ultima Online. And, and like, that says a lot. I'm not an early riser at all. And I already had to get up early enough for high school. And I would, like, wake up at half hour <laughs> early just to put in some more time in Ultima Online. And um, It's like you're creating your identity, isn't it? You yeah, know? yeah, right. I, and, I remember and, playing those games like uh, World of Warcraft and uh, EverQuest and things. And, you know, people would... Could do all-nighters because you know they want to attain some new bow and arrow or something you know that's from a, some monster you know things like this and their whole identity is like so wrapped up in the game but you know it's understandable because you know if you have a boring job where you're just you know going to a boring job every day you know boring life you know commuting to work every day all the excitement comes from your alter identity your persona and that may have been it more than stress for me. Uh, okay. It may have just been that I wasn't entertained enough, uh, you know, which, of course, later on in life I would fulfill through travel. Um, but because growing in up, the game you can yeah. be like your own hero. You know, you can instantly log in and, you know, be an undead warrior or, you know, be a commando or a general of an army. You mm-hmm. know, how, how, how does that compare to, you know, Scott the... Uh, paper pusher you know working for twelve dollars an hour out of college you know so people you know that for some people that becomes their whole identity you know that's how they create their identity yeah so it it definitely could have been uh an escape like that you know and and also when you're young like you don't have a car um you don't really have much money and so you're kind of just you know you're 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 relying on your parents and you're just kind of stuck with it you got you got to go to school um, you know, my parents made me get a job, you know, which, which makes sense. And, uh, and so the really, that, that could have been an escape because, yeah, I remember feeling that when I'd play these games and, uh, you know, you, you put a lot of time and effort into it, you get to this high level and people would, I mean, sometimes they like respect you for the amount of time you put in, you'd forge these relationships and, and you, uh, would get these, you know, cool items and stuff like that. And I think it was really when I went to Japan and I didn't have the ability to play them um, as often because we had like one slow internet connection and one computer room where you had to actually like plug in the computer. I was one of the few people that brought my laptop. And uh, so I didn't, I wasn't playing it for a while. And then I found out all this other stuff in real life. And then I realized, why am I putting so much time and effort into creating this virtual character, this virtual me? It doesn't matter at all. What if I took that time and effort and put it into the real me in the real world and did real world things? You know, wouldn't that be so much of a better use of my time? And so I just never played again after that. So after that first experience, you devoted your life to becoming a real life action hero, basically. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, I. I've definitely at various times fulfilled my need for excitement and adventure in many ways I could not when I was growing up. 
So who is this identity? You know, who is Scott Brills? Like, what's the identity that you've created these last 15 years? You consider yourself an international man of mystery? Um, I've been called that, but I, my, <laughs> my, uh, my moniker is, uh, it's uh, international entrepreneur and an adventure capitalist. Okay. So it kind of combines the two things that I really, I really love, which is uh, even since when I was a kid, I would create these little businesses, uh, you know, not many of them that made money, but uh, I love business, especially the act of creating businesses. Uh, and I love adventure, uh, you know, traveling to new lands and meeting people uh, and seeing new cultures and learning new languages and stuff. So I feel that that, that kind of name uh, encompasses both of those things. And after 15 years, how have you been able to keep yourself, you know, interested, engaged, you know, passionate? I think it's uh, I think it's just an innate desire to see and do everything, you know, more or less. Um, I want to uh, I just want to keep exploring. There's always going to be new spots to explore. You know, I definitely want to go into space uh, in my lifetime. And uh, I want to visit every single country and I want to see everywhere and meet everyone to an extent. Yeah, I, I realized at some points I would go too far into that and then I would neglect um, other areas of my life like business. And, and you have to like rein it in a bit and find uh, a happy median where you can do both. Uh, because, you know, as, as you know, travel does require money. Um, <laughs> it, it may not require as much money as, as living at home, as I found out, uh, depending on where you're traveling to. But uh, you can't always rely on the kindness of strangers and, and mooch off of people and, and live on couches like I did for the first few years when I was still building up my uh, my business and trying to save money. Since, of course, hotels and accommodation can be pretty expensive when you're traveling. Uh, it could be a, a, at least a, a big chunk of your budget. So uh, I think it's all about uh, just kind of combining the two, you know, your needs and your wants and keeping up with business, keep growing that side of things, uh, you know, scope and money-wise, and then also keeping up the level of excitement in, in someone like me where that's important. You know, I, I might get bored easily with one location or if I haven't done an adventure in a while and I need to keep up that uh, kind of uh, release of uh, dopamine and and finding the happy medium where you can, you can do both. Uh, so that's what I've been focused on lately. So you started out, you were doing couch surfing and kind of, you know, traveling around on a budget, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was uh, it was more, this is before couch surfing was even around. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> and not to date myself, but uh, <clears throat> it was um, it was a lot of friends' couches. So I would go back to Japan primarily, just Japan, the first few years that I was doing this. And I already had a lot of friends over there. Some I definitely probably overstayed my welcome. Uh and but they, I, I was lucky enough to know many, um, many generous people that would just say, oh, yeah, you can stay with me for a week and then I'd stay somewhere else for a week. And, and I would do that for like a, a couple months, um, you know, when I wasn't over there uh, doing jobs, you know, like when I did my work study program or when I was a uh, working at a ski lodge in Nagano for for a couple months. And those turn out to be some of the most, you know, romantic and interesting experiences, you know, when you're just kind of couch surfing and, you know, traveling around on a budget. And I think that it's so empowering, you know, if, if you realize like, wow, I can do all of this, you know, for a lot less than I thought. 
you know, how freaking cool is it going to be when I actually am making good money? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and since I've, I've yeah, and, and since I've I've been there and done that, and I still espouse that to friends that are looking to travel more um, or start up their own business or both. And I just say, you know, hey, it's I've I've measured my expenses. I live cheaper in many of the countries I travel to or base myself in than I do at home in Detroit. Um, yeah. That's a great just, point, actually, Scott. I'm sorry uh, to interrupt, but uh, I just read recently that 30% of millennials, I think I read this in Tucker Max article or something, but 30% of millennials at the age of 30 are still living at home with their parents. You know, so instead of, you know, living at home, why don't they just go travel? You know, they can save the same amount of money and get started on their business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but I also appreciate the fact that it's it's difficult to make a huge life change like that. Uh, where you have a job and you might have rent and you've got car payment and whatnot. It's really tough to to downsize, sell all of your stuff and and change course. And, and a lot of people need a while of, of introspection and thinking about it. But I've seen many people do exactly that, all those things, um, and be successful at it. So I just tell people, you know, hey, <clears throat> look at these people. You know, they've written a blog about this, and they've done exactly what you're thinking about doing. So don't think like that you're alone. Um, you know, other people have done it and been successful. And it's like, yo, know, I'll I'll help you out with whatever you need. I'll give you uh, any advice on how to do it or whatnot. But uh, it's up to you to to take the plunge and and to do that. Luckily, on my end, it wasn't so difficult because, like you mentioned, at at 19, after graduating high school and going to Japan. Uh, I started up my company, and um, I'd gotten out of a a job. I I started at a job uh, maybe two years prior, working at one of the big box uh, electronics retailers as a salesperson, and uh, went back to that after Japan. Was there for a few months, and I'm like, nope, can't do this anymore. And then out of necessity, you know, I needed money. Uh, I started up my company, and so I didn't have a full time job to quit. Um, I purchased my car in cash. And um, I was still living with my parents at the time. And so, yeah, it, it made things a lot easier for me. So I, I cannot always relate to all those things, but I do know have a lot of friends that have done that and they have that experience. So, Scott, tell me about some of your uh, top three travel highlights, if you can. I know you have quite a few of them that you've told me about. I know about your Mongol rally, which was quite an interesting adventure. You know, if, if you could look back, and I know you probably don't spend a lot of time looking back, but can you just, you know, tell me a little bit about some, tell me some fun stories here? Oh, yeah, yeah, tons of those. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten down to uh, to writing about them or, or putting together a book like everyone tells me to do, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, so in my free time, um, I go on these charity rallies where I, I raise money for a, a certain charity beforehand, uh, you know, maybe like starting a, a year beforehand, and I plan it all out. And um, and then I drive, uh, I, I've been doing mostly um, charity like auto rallies, which are not races, but there's it's more of like an endurance rally. So I've driven from London to Mongolia in 2009. I've driven from uh, London to Cape Town, South Africa in 2012. Uh, with a few other people, and uh, I have uh, gone around India on a rickshaw uh, in 2011 and 2014 uh, for thousands and thousands of miles, each time to support a different charity. And uh, so during those times, uh, I found that I come up with the most interesting stories, just because you're 
<laughs> you're in a lot of these places where people usually don't go to and you will break down. I, I would say every single time I've done it, you, you have breakdowns sometimes more than others. But um, yeah, a couple stories would be uh, when I was on the border of Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan in 2009 on my way to Mongolia. I was driving with my my good buddy Colin and we were doing this process to get through to the other side of the border in the Uzbekistan side. And they, for all these Central uh, Asian borders, they've got a lot of bureaucracy and there's like six different areas you have to go to, like different uh, windows basically where you have to pay this person, you get this slip and you take it over to the next window and they stamp a paper and then you take that paper over. You know, it takes hours and hours to get through. And so... We uh, we did it and just had one more uh, one more like window to go to, but then it was lunchtime and so we waited in the middle of the desert for three hours while they were on lunch. Finally, they opened up again. I go through first, get all my paperwork stamped. I'm let through to the other side, uh, and I'm waiting for my buddy. And then he calls to me from back where the uh, the buildings are, and it turns out that our visas don't start till the next day. Uh, because you had to specify certain days, and apparently we were we were there early, which I did not expect. And so uh, I went back into that area, so I had to go back out of Uzbekistan. But officially, we were, I guess we weren't really in Uzbekistan yet. We're still in no man's land. And they had caught him, but they had not caught me. So uh, I joined him, and we sat in the car just kind of debating what to do because we're in the middle of the desert, and there's no buildings we're, we're in this miles long stretch of desert in between the two countries, uh, no man's land. And so we had some food. Um, I think we, we had just a bit of water and we were just getting ready for a really uncomfortable night in the middle of the desert, uh, waiting for them to open up in the morning the next day so that we could finally uh, process the paperwork. And uh, this guy walks over. And he motions for us to join him and his friends. And it turns out he was a long haul trucker and him and some other truckers that were there because a lot of uh, the trucks are there for days because they have to get all their cargo inspected and the proper permits and everything makes what we went through uh, look like cakewalk. And so we joined them and I also brought our little bottle of vodka with me that I picked up in Kazakhstan. And we ended up having just the, the best time, like the best night. It was already maybe 5 o'clock, and so uh, they ended up making us dinner uh, over a fire that they had made on the side of the road. And we ended up talking for hours and hours. We probably talked till uh, 10 p.m. And I only knew rudimentary uh, Russian at this point that I just basically learned in the, in the last couple of weeks uh, out of necessity. And then uh, – they knew very little English, and so most of it was just kind of uh, body language and a lot of laughing. And, of course, it always helps when you pass the vodka bottle around. And at the end of the night when we were, we were going to sleep or making plans to, the guy that invited us over, uh, he was kind of the leader of the group, it seemed. Uh, he motioned to inside of his, his truck and showed us his uh, sleeping compartment. And he's like, you, you guys sleep there. I was like, no, 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 like, where are you going to sleep? And he points to the ground under his truck. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And he insisted. So we we slept in his uh, pretty comfortable truck uh, truck cabin. And the next morning, 
they woke us up, made us breakfast. We took a picture together, and, and I never saw or heard from them again. But it, it was just really a cool experience where we were facing a bit of adversity, and then it turned into what's probably the, the most uh, memorable experience of the entire six weeks of driving there. Uh, so that was that was really cool. Um, another shorter story that happened actually just before then that I thought was pretty hilarious uh, was I was on the border between um, Russia and Kazakhstan. And after maybe a week or so, maybe 10 days of being in Ukraine and Russia, uh, anybody that's been there knows that the people there take a little bit more time to to warm up. They're not they're not uh, the land of smiles, you know, as they call Thailand. You you have to warm up by spending some time with them or spending some va- or some time with vodka uh, with them before they're going to open up and and let you see their you know kind of break down the walls between you. And so we we'd been really used to that. And, and when I got to the border post in Kazakhstan, it was so refreshing because there are these people that were just like, oh, welcome to our country, you know, and very smiley, and. Um, the first guy, uh, the first of the the booths that I went to to do all the stamps and the payments and stuff, he was a little bit older, uh, maybe uh, late 20s, uh, early 30s, a bit of a pudgy guy. And uh, I give him my passport and he's like, oh, America, where are you from? And I was like, it's Detroit. Do you, have you heard of Detroit and Michigan or anything? Not thinking he had because a lot of people have no clue where Detroit is uh, or Michigan or the general geography of the U.S., and he said, ah, oh, yes, I know, Detroit, Detroit, uh, uh, Eminem, gangster, respect. And he, 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 he uh, like, daps his, uh, his chest, you know. He, he does, like, the double dap on his chest. Uh, and I was just cracking up. Apparently, he's, like, a big Eminem fan. <laughs> and, and that was, like, very unexpected to hear. <laughs> um and then one more one more quick story would be I guess the uh, the uh, next trip that I did, which was through Africa a few years later with a few of my friends, where we spent um, four months straight on the road, and uh, it was very challenging in many ways. But there was one time in particular, you know, I'll keep this each story a little bit different. We had the the ah cultural story, we got the funny story, and now we got like the the dangerous story. Um, where we were driving into out of the Sahara into Ethiopia. It's the first time we had seen verdant green hills and trees and stuff. For about two months, we had spent in the Sahara um, because of some issues with Sudan not letting us in. And uh, we got in there, and we were just, oh, wow, like, this is great. Like, we can buy beer. And... Uh, that's another funny story is actually where we bought beer right across the border into Ethiopia. It turned out to be a brothel. and We, we didn't know <laughs> um, until we had already opened up our second beer. Uh, and so we were driving through that whole day trying to make as much progress as we could because we were already quite a ways behind our original schedule after uh, being stuck in Egypt for a while trying to get into Sudan. And we were trying to make a specific campsite that we had found on Tracks for Africa, which is a GPS program that shows you places to camp and whatnot, and people can write notes on it, kind of show the people that come after them where to stay. Uh, and we stop at this one town for dinner, 
make friends with people at this uh, bar slash restaurant. And they're like, oh, you know, you should join us. We're going to go out to the club. It was like a Friday night. And uh, we're like, oh, sorry, we got to make it to this next place. It's across the mountains and it'll take us a while. And we're already kind of late. And they're like, oh, no, you shouldn't drive in the mountains or drive at night. Um, it's full of bandits. And we're just like, yeah, we know you want us to hang out with you. It's fine, you know. But uh, but no, I think we'll be fine. At that point, we're actually uh, two cars plus a uh, Land Rover that was being driven by a couple that were doing more or less the same route and convoying with us at the time. We're like, I think we can handle it. So we end up going on and then we uh, come to find out like the Land Rover was ahead of us because we were having trouble getting up the mountains and the Land Rover had more oomph to it. And they radio back to us because we had walkie talkies. Uh, hey, guys, like it looks like somebody's put up like some roadblock across the road. Uh, uh, the car ahead of me like had just gone. And so I just followed them and we just drove on through. But just wanted to let you know. So. We actually pulled the side of the road and we we converse amongst uh, the five of us in the two cars. We're like, okay, let's wait for some lorries, some trucks. Let's get in. Let's get behind a truck because the truck will know what to do because they drive these roads all the time, right? So we actually waited and there was two trucks. We got in between the two trucks. So we're like, perfect. This is like perfect camouflage to get through here. And we drive up and then there's this guy waving a flashlight off in the distance. And as we get closer, we can see he's wearing a policeman's uh, hat and. But he he's covered he's waving the flashlight, but he's covered in a robe. And we see other people as we get closer, and they're also in robes, faces hidden. We're like, wait, is this? I, I was the I was the first car in line, and I was the driver. Um, and I thought, wait, is this police checkpoint? I don't want to like piss off the police or anything. Uh, and the the truck in front of me ended up stopping at this roadblock, which was some oil drums and some wood and some rope strung between it, and. In hindsight, it really didn't look legit, but I was still like, wait a second, the trucks are stopping, this guy has a police hat on. And uh, so I stopped for like a few seconds behind the truck, and the guy who's next to me um, in the car, Scott, his name's also Scott, he was like, no, man, this isn't right. You should go, 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 go. And I just floor it. I go up from behind the truck, uh, get into oncoming traffic lane. There's nobody there because it's midnight in, in the mountains. And I just break on through the uh, the barrier that was erected while the people around like ran towards us and started like hitting the car with uh, sticks. One guy had a rifle. And so I ducked down as I went through. And luckily, uh, our compatriot's car right behind us took the hint and also like left right as I did, followed us through there. Um, and we stopped a few miles down the road just to make sure everything was okay. And I dislodged a, a stick that they had actually put in my wheel well that was making a bunch of noise to try to stop us. And I still know to this day what would have happened had we actually stopped there. We were all safe and we made it maybe a half hour later to the campsite. Um, but I, uh, I'm not sure because we had actually heard stories uh, before then and after then too of people getting killed there um i'm sure especially people that resist their stuff uh, getting stolen but we had a lot of stuff there we had a lot of cash on us we had computers we had cameras they could have just taken everything and, and we would have been lucky to probably get away with our lives um and our cars if they allowed us our cars like um that was a pretty scary moment uh so that would that would be my third story wow so these guys were like bandits then right yeah, they're bandits, and, and oh, we had okay. heard stories. We heard stories after that, especially of uh, 
people's friends getting killed in the mountains by bandits and whatnot. And and there was a there was a group of like seven or eight guys. Uh, we were four, uh, three guys, two girls. The Land Rover was already ahead of us. That was a guy and a girl, so they they couldn't help us. Uh, so we were two girls, three guys. Um, all the guys had like sticks, big sticks. One guy had a rifle. I don't know if there was ammo in it. Um, I don't think we would have been able to fight off. If they had us get out, out of the car, we would have been at their mercy for sure. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so there's a certain amount of risk that I'm willing to take when I travel. Uh, but then it's kind of like it reaches a point where I'm not willing to go past that. And, and so, like, you know, guys, you know, threatening me with rifles and, you know, threatening to take all my stuff, probably try to avoid these situations if I can. No, we didn't. No. Yeah, like we, we didn't yeah. go in, like, hoping for that or expecting it. No, but it happened, and, and luckily we were able to get out of it. You were very lucky. I, I You know, I had a friend on the podcast, uh, Mike Spencer Bowne, and, he had a similar experience, you know, traveling in Afghanistan, and they're basically saying, like, you know, he was about to get in one van, and some kid, you know, went up and warned him. He said, oh, they're killing everybody, you know, that goes down that road who's not a Pashtun, you know? So he's like, okay, I was just about to get in the van. Now I'm going to get, I think he's about to get in another van, and the kid's like, no, don't go in, in, you know, that van. And he's like, well, what, is there another road where they're killing everybody? And he's like, no, that, that van doesn't have any brakes, you know, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> So he, you know, narrowly avoided death twice thanks to like this, you know, ten-year-old kid in Afghanistan. Pretty funny. Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember another another book. There, there's a book that I read that I really liked uh, by Rory Stewart, who uh, was a British, uh, I think, MP. Uh, he was in the government for a little bit, but in his uh, before that, he actually did a solo walk across Afghanistan when it was still ruled by the Taliban. And um, he had a story like that where someone was beckoning him to like come over towards a riverbed. And uh, he was like, if I would have done that, I would have been killed. They're just trying to get me out of the line of sight. Oh, my goodness. OK, so these are kind of the situations I prefer to avoid. But I do get so excited when I hear your stories, you know, like. I can feel, you know, the excitement welling up inside of me. And looking back, I, I think of all of my own experiences and these really long, unplanned, you know, overland trips, they always contribute the best memories of my life. You know, thinking back, like cycling across Mexico or something, and I don't know where I'm going to sleep that night, you know, but something always comes up, you know, I'll meet like a group of Canadians in an RV, you know, who make me pasta mm -hmm. or something like this, you know, when I'm starving or you know, riding in a cargo ship in Sumatra and sleeping on top of a truck or hitchhiking around, you know, Malaysia and a, a Czech Republic couple picks me up. Um, you know, like all, all the best experiences of my life have come from these really, you know, these, these trips where I just kind of set off into the unknown. I had no idea what was going to happen. No expectation for anything. You got to rely on, stra on the kindness of strangers. A, a little bit. You got to kind of yeah. have faith in the universe too, you know, like, when I was in India, everybody, I, I wanted to hitchhike across south of India, and everybody was like, oh, no, take a bus, take a bus. And I'm like, well, I don't get any, you know, thrill or excitement from taking a bus. If I hitchhike, I can, like, prove to myself that, you know, the universe is going to provide something. Somebody's going to show up, you know. I'll just throw myself out there, and I, I love that right. feeling. What advice would you give to others to kind of start creating these, you know, impromptu adventures, these memories of a lifetime? Um, yeah, like one would be don't be afraid of of other countries or other people uh, because most people are 
just uh, wanting the same stuff you do. And if you are in need, they will help you. You'll find someone to help you out. Uh, it's a very common theme that I've come across many, many times uh, is that I would say even more than America, like a lot of these other countries where they definitely have less materially, um, they will do everything in their power to help you and give you what they have, uh, a stranger, because a lot of these places have it codified that the guest is is king. Um, and so you're a guest in their country and they will do everything they can to, uh, yeah, to help you get out of whatever situation you're in. So that's the first piece of advice is that people are more common than you than you think. They're often willing to help you. Sometimes you just need to ask, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and then uh, other than that, I would say uh, it's, it's easier probably to go with friends. If, if you're new, if you're like newer to travel, uh, yeah, it's easier to plan stuff with friends and whatnot. It may be a bit intimidating to go solo. I know for me, it definitely was even after I had traveled quite a few times to Japan and been a few other places. Uh, my friend, a friend of mine who's Chinese, she's like, oh, when I was growing up, you know, a teenage, well, maybe like early 20s, uh, and she's a bit older than me. So she, you know, we're talking like, I don't know, the 80s or something like that. She would just hitchhike through China on her own. And uh, she's like, why don't you do something like that? And I was quite uh, intimidated by that. Uh, but nowadays, I can travel solo pretty confidently. But I think that a lot of the travel that I did with others, uh, with a friend or, or more than just one, uh, definitely showed me that that was possible. And then later on, I, I would do more of the adventurous slash uh, solo type trips. Yeah, that's great. When you meet people who are doing cool things, that can kind of completely change your paradigm as far as what's possible. And I think it's really helpful that if you just say yes more, you know, if a fork comes up in the road, just take it. If somebody invites you on a weekend trip, you know, I had uh, some friends that invited me to go like in a group to the Grand Canyon, for example, when I was in San Diego. And I was like, well, you know, it'd be more comfortable to stay home and relax by the beach. But I was like, you know, I'll just say yes. Why not? And it was one of the best trips I've ever had, you know, traveling with these guys and traveling all over Arizona and Utah and Nevada. So Yeah, when, when you're solo advice. especially, it gives you that luxury to, um, to do whatever, whenever, uh, and you have that flexibility. Whereas, you know, if you're with a group or another person, uh, obviously you have to take that into mind. And, and you, you know, especially if you've got, um, if you've got an open timeline and you're solo, um, and you know, you've got a bit of money saved up or you're, you're doing your own business remotely and you don't have to worry about it so much, that kind of freedom to, uh, to go with the flow and, and say yes to random invitations and whatnot, uh, yeah, you're right, that can really lead to some amazing experiences. So what, else, uh, what other insights would you have to would-be adventurers? I mean, are you big on goal setting or you know, what other advice would you give to 19-year-old Scott Ooh, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm I'm happy with the way everything's worked out so far, uh, but at the same time, like I look back on early business decisions or mistakes, and I'm like, oh, like oh, I should have done this or not done that. But at the same time, like I know that I learn best through making mistakes, and the bigger the mistake, the better I learn. And so. I guess that I can't, you know, I've got to be thankful for that more than anything uh, for learning through doing. I, I didn't, you know, when I was doing this starting up, there wasn't a lot of people that I knew, uh, barely any that were running their own company, much less uh, doing it remotely for at least part of the year. So I had no, there wasn't really 
any blogs, at least I knew of, like talking about it. There weren't people that had courses designed to like show you how to do it or give you tips and stuff like that. So I had to learn a lot uh, about both things, the the travel, nomadic uh, entrepreneurship, and then the entrepreneurship in general uh, on my own just through trial and error. And so nowadays I look at it and I'm just like, whoa, like what a great time to be able to do it because there's all these people that give away 90% or more of their content for free through like blog posts or eBooks or podcasts um, that will tell you, like give you the recipe for like getting this done. And so you can kind of go through and plan things out and you don't have to deal with a lot of the mistakes that I had to go through when I was uh, doing it, you know, in 2003, four or five, you know, before couch surfing and Skype and PayPal was pretty young. And, uh, you know, nowadays with the tools we have and with the resources that we have, uh, many of them for free, uh, you know, it just opens up the world so much, uh, so much easier. Yeah, and so you're up to a lot of things, you know, both personally and professionally. You have your blog, scottbrills.com, where you offer food tours through there. You have your web design business. What, uh, what has typically worked well for you? You know, how do you, what kind of business model do you create and what's been like, you know, the staple of your success? Well, I mean, I've, I've got uh, entrepreneurial ADD, which is a pretty common fact or uh, like attribute amongst uh, you know many many of us uh, so it the trickiest part is doing something that's that's interesting and entertaining but also makes money and uh, with my web development company after about 10 years I kind of grew out of love with it uh, because I knew how to do it it made money it was you know easy at, at time at most times but um, it wasn't challenging me and I didn't really want to take it to the next level where I'd be hiring full-time employees and, and doing that you know, for the rest of my life. So I got out of it and I started up a safari company in Tanzania um, where I had gone in 2010 with my father and I became friends with one of our three guides and proposed starting up a company with him. And the next year in 2011, we started up Pomoja Safaris. And that kind of quenched my thirst for more adventure and you're doing it in Africa and Tanzania. And so there's a lot of challenges and I, I really thrive on challenges. Uh, and so I've been doing that for over five years now, but I realized that halfway through that it wasn't going to be a quick moneymaker, uh, partially just because dealing in Africa or with Africa, partially because I was focused at that time on seeing the world, making connections uh, and not so much on business. And so it was slow to start. And then um, uh, what I decided to do is actually just last year uh, was start up another web development company to provide the money to live off of and to invest into the Safari company. Uh, this time I learned from the mistakes I had made, well, most of them, and, uh, and I started up with my younger brother who also got into web development a few years prior. And uh, that way we split up uh, duties, the same as I do with the Safari company. So I'm not doing everything by myself. We're able to split it 50-50. Um, and then I also do these these trips. that what I, I do them for what I call beer money. I don't make a ton of money off of them. But I, I get a lot of friends together. I have a great time. Um, I get people together and, and form new relationships, which I really love, being the catalyst for that. And, and that would be the the adventures that you mentioned on my scottbrills.com uh, page. And I just do a few of them a year for small groups. Um, 
I'm doing a culinary tour in Japan in, in March, which that'll be my third time doing that. I'm doing a safari for friends and acquaintances in November, and that'll be the first safari with friends that I'm putting together. But, you know, I've done many safaris. And then uh, I'm also doing an adventure trip, and I'm co-leading it with a, a good friend of mine who also puts together trips, uh, Kim. And so we're putting our, our experience together and, and doing it in Madagascar, which has been a place that both of us have wanted to visit for a long time. So... Just kind of, uh, it's a way to, to see friends, uh, make connections happen, and have a good time, uh, the, the adventure. So I guess you could say I'm, I'm running two and a half companies. So Brothers Design, Web Development, uh, Pomoja Safaris for Safaris in Tanzania, and then these, uh, these companies on the side. I do not recommend doing that. Um, needless to say, it's keeping me very busy, especially now that I'm focused on all of them at the same time. And they say, you know, don't focus on more than one thing when you're starting up a company, uh, which I agree with. But um, I'm I'm finding ways to make it work, uh, even though it's a slow start and I have to put a lot of time and effort into it. Um, you know, most days working, uh, you know, 10, 12 hours or so on it. But uh, but I'm really excited uh, for for both the companies and for the the trips. And I believe that uh, 2017 is going to be a really big year. What? 10 to 12 hours a day? This, you're supposed to be the lifestyle guy. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's like I don't I don't post about it all over Facebook or whatnot. Like, yeah, yo, right. look how look how hard I'm working. Um, yeah, but this is but, the kind of devotion it takes, you know, at times to create uh, oh, yeah, unusual like, success. I'll go, I've got a weird like vampire-like sleep schedule slash work schedule where I'll work until 5 a.m. or sometimes even like 8 a.m. or whatnot. I'll go to sleep as the sun's coming up. And like I've, I've been, I'm, I'm based in Bangkok right now. And there have been times where for a solid week, I have no sunlight on me. There's no sunlight that hits my skin. And, and most of that time is, oh. uh, is in my apartment that I'm renting uh, which gets no direct sunlight, unfortunately. And uh, and I'll go out once just to grab some food. I'll grab enough food for dinner, too, to reheat. And uh, so I'll spend about 20 minutes outside of my apartment. Uh, the rest of the time in the day, I don't I don't talk with anybody, meet with anybody. I just uh, sit at my computer and do my thing. And uh, and it's it's uh, excessive, but uh, I feel like it's what's needed. At right now at this point in my life uh, for my businesses if I want them to succeed and, and myself to succeed at a new level. And I want to ask you about that in a second, maybe to close off the interview, but before that there was a subject that I'm really interested in and you know, your main business has been web design. More than 80% of my income has come from working with clients you know, over the years, you know, doing marketing services with clients and I sometimes wonder how do we just create these businesses from scratch, you know, that we have no experience with, you know, how do we turn them into viable businesses? Like, um, <clears throat> you know, for example, I've written a book about sleep hacking. Uh, I've created a course on sleep hacking, but I can never imagine myself like creating like a sleep coaching business or, you know, something like this. Like, but I know people that are able to do this who become, you know, sleep coaches or, you know, wellness coaches. Like they teach people how to eat properly. And I'm like, how could you create a business around that? You're like, I could never imagine it myself. But something like this, like a pet project, for example, like Pomoja Safaris, this is your passion. You know, what insights would you have to kind of create a viable business out of these passions? Um, well, you can definitely create a business through something that you're not um, passionate about, but it, it will not be a long-term thing generally. Um, for instance, I know a lot of people that do uh, – 
selling on Amazon and they, they'll basically like buy in bulk on uh, Alibaba and they'll like, sell it at a small profit and they go for like, you know, selling large quantities of, you know, whatever widgets, um, you know, and that's just like, you're not creating any value in the world. You're not creating anything. You're just, you're a middleman and you're shipping widgets basically, or you're having Amazon ship them. And you can make money. I know people that make a lot of money, a lot more money than I do. Uh, but if I did that, I would be bored out of my skull. So I I think it comes down to the person. Um, but I, I think that a lot of those people, too, will eventually get sick of it uh, and and look for something more fulfilling. And yeah. so, yeah, I, th- I think I think if you're if you're in it for the long haul. Um, I mean, even for web development, I was pretty passionate about that for a while. And, and now I, I am again. But uh, and so it's OK to fall out of love with it. You know, if you've been grinding away and it, it's tough and, you know, that's that's normal. But in the in the meantime, like in the beginning, you know, find something that preferably you know, you're passionate about and you're good at um, a skill, a hobby, um, an interest of yours. You've read up about a lot uh, and just um, do a Google search. See what other people are doing it. If other people are doing it. Uh, it doesn't mean, oh, damn, like I can't do it because people are doing it. No, it's it means that the market wants that. If there if there's you know, more people doing it, the more uh, of a need there is for that. And so it means that that's probably a good idea uh, to go in there and just think about ways uh, that you can differentiate yourself from the competition. And uh, if you've got that in you, you're good at it, you're passionate about it. And then you you kind of learn the business stuff as you go along, especially if you're a first time entrepreneur. Uh then yeah, that's uh, that's really the best place to be, right? I mean, you're making money, you're having fun, you're good at it, um, you're adding value to the world. You know, like that's that's a really a really uh, enviable spot to be in for for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I it's okay. So it's prayer time here. I don't know if you can hear the uh, the sounds from the mosque <laughs> down the street, <laughs> but it's really loud, and sometimes it's, they play it at like five in the morning. So. Uh, not so much fun, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm here in Penang today, uh, calling you from Malaysia. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's a great point. Like you know, I I love marketing, and don't get me wrong, you know, and I'm happy to do it. You know, it makes me the money. But there's other things I love, like you know, passions. Like I love dancing more than anything, and I wonder, you know, like how I'd actually create a business around just dancing. And you know, I guess you could, like you said, do benchmarking, you know, see who else is out there, kind of research if the market exists, and just start putting out products or even, you know, start teaching at a dance studio or something like that. Uh, you know, I'm really interested in these kind of businesses, but I just don't know, like, I don't really have a blueprint for how we can create a business like this or how you can create a Pamoja safari business. Like, you know, that's just so out of, out of my realm and my comfort zone business-wise, you know. Mm-hmm. And even if I were to try something like this, like I feel like you know maybe I'd give it a go, but it wouldn't take off. It wouldn't get steam, you know. But you've actually been doing these safaris for a while, and you've been getting clients, so it's it's been picking up for you, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just did it, and and what I told my partner was, uh, it's not going to require a ton of cash to put into it because every company I've started, I've, I've bootstrapped it from the ground up. I said it'll, it'll require a little bit of cash. We'll split everything 50-50. It'll be mostly time. And especially in the beginning, it'll be mostly my time because I'll be handling all the business development um, and sales and everything. And you'll be basically, you'll, your work will be mostly when we make a sale and get someone on the ground. Uh, you know, most of the, the setup and stuff will be me. So I said, you know, if anything, we'll lose a bit of time. Um, but I think that 
it is worth that time to see how we can combine forces. You with your you know, 15 plus years of experience being an awesome guide uh, and very personable. And then me with my business development experience and sales. So when you're setting up this tour company, basically you just need to kind of get in touch with some of the local contacts and then just kind of go out and find clients, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just about, um, you know, put up a nice looking website, have awesome photos, uh, and then once you get a few clients, they'll start, if you do a good job, they'll start referring you to their friends and family. Uh, you know, and they'll post on, on Facebook and other social media about uh, their trip and people will be like, Oh, that looks awesome. You know, who'd you go with? And it, 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 it gets, uh, the ball rolling pretty quickly. You know, once you have all of your marketing materials, your website and whatnot up, post it on Facebook. You know, I'm sure that like everyone listening probably has at least a few hundred friends on Facebook. Um, and any other social media that you're a part of just be like, Hey, I'm doing this now. I'd really appreciate it. You know, if all my friends would like, give me a shout out, like, let me know if anybody's going on safari, for instance, um, it'd be like a huge, huge help for me. And then it gets it in their mind. You've already got like, a whole market of people, your friends and your family, um, that are rooting for you, you know, and, and they'll help you out, even if it's just one person out of the hundreds, you know, and they introduce you to your, to your first client, which is what happened to me. And, uh, and so that's a really easy way to get it started. It's just kind of like, yeah, research your competition to see if it's, if it's needed, uh, in the marketplace, you know, if it's something that's in demand, um, look at like the top few people that come up in Google searches or are making, obviously making money and, uh, Put it simply, just copy what they're doing. <laughs> you know, you can you can put in your own flair later on, but the easiest thing is just kind of like copy different elements of what they're doing or how the website's uh, set up or their email funnels or whatnot, and um, and then put it out there and uh, on social media and say like, hey, this is my my new thing that I'm trying out. This is what I'm doing. This is my website. If you know anybody that wants this, please send them my way. I'd, I'd super appreciate it. Um, and I found that like. You, that that is enough uh, this day and age to get started because we're all connected with so many people already. That uh, yeah, if you just make an impassioned plea to that, like yo, I'm put it, I'm starting this. I'm really uh, really passionate about it, and I really want it to succeed. So I would super appreciate it if any of my friends would help me out on this and just refer me. That's it. Great stuff, man. You make it seem so easy. And. <laughs> <laughs> And I really, you know, that's what I really respect and admire about you is that you're just a guy who's really good at coming up with an idea and manifesting it, you know, whether it's travel related or business related, you know, your website, your website looks amazing with Emoja Safari is like, you've really, you know, I know you're working 10 to 12 hours, but you've really done the legwork to make this legit. And I really admire that about you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm still still got a long way to go. Still working hard, and and I'll be working hard throughout all of next year, uh, because there's still you know a hundred to do lists or to do list items uh, that I got to get through, um, including the the Pomoja site, which will be uh, which will be up in the next week or so. So the new version of it. But um, yeah, I'm doing a lot of this stuff by myself. I could you know if I wanted to put some more money into, it, I could hire it out um, or have a team or. Uh, part-timers but i'm taking this time right now to uh to personally set it up in a way uh where i can do that later on uh, make sure all my processes and structures in my business are ready to expand big time to, uh, to hire a full-time team for for both companies that kind of thing so i can focus more on um getting out and exploring the world again <laughs> What do you see as like your driving vision for the future, and um, you know how are you going to use some of the things that you've learned in the past to 
get to that next level? Uh, well, I mean, I'll use the lessons learned from the various uh, mistakes, you know, business and personal and whatnot. Um, what mistakes? But, <laughs> I mean, just uh, the same stuff that everyone goes through. You, you learn uh, about how to recognize a pain in the ass client um, and you learn how to break up with them, you know, once you once you are in that relationship um, and you learn about scammers and you learn about meeting deadlines uh, and and things like that. You And I've learned all that from from doing a bad job at it one time or another. Uh, and, and you really find out what's important. So like I'll be using that and and to to increase my uh, my businesses, which will increase money, which will increase um, uh, my ability to grow them even more and to hire a team to uh, delegate to, uh, which frees up my time. And then I take that time and I go back to what I really love, which is um, hanging out with friends, meeting new people, creating connections, traveling and seeing the world. Uh, and that's that's what I'm looking at right now. And who knows, you know, maybe in the future, a family or, or whatnot, um, you know, just uh, thinking about less about myself and uh, more about others, be it, uh, you know, friends and family or um, potential partner or, or whatnot. You know, that's it's just I think it's kind of a natural thing that you start thinking of more as you get older. Do you have any other important pieces of advice based on you know things that you've learned? You know what were the biggest uh, wins or what made the biggest difference in you know business or you know marketing that made you successful? Uh, I, I'm going to have to defer to a quick and short uh, quote by Richard Branson, and uh, he said, I believe it's the name of his book actually. Uh, Screw it, just do it. <laughs> so be, be be willing to just invest uh, some of your time. Like nowadays, to start up a business, um, you know, I, I'm I'm talking, of course, from my experience in the U.S. Uh, so it depends where you're from, where you're setting up. Uh, but it's very easy uh, and not costly to set up a business, to put up a website, even if you're using like Wix or Squarespace or something like that, uh, to test out an idea and to see if there's traction. You know what? And at the end, like maybe you're out a hundred bucks and you're out some of your time, you know, like a few dozen hours of time or whatnot. And if you decide to scrap it, whatnot. Hey, at least you tried it. You learned from the experience and then go back and do it again. Do pick something else. Uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. Just don't let uh, don't let failure or mistakes discourage you from keeping on, uh, you know, doing doing what you love or or trying to uh, get ahead uh, you know, business wise. Screw it, just do it, just get out there and make as many mistakes as you can, as quickly as you can. Hopefully you don't get beaten by sticks and rifles in the process. <laughs> yes, uh, to put it succinctly, that, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid those sticks, and if you see the, the gang of bandits coming after you, get the heck out of there. <laughs> as quick as you can. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you, Scott. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, I really enjoyed your stories, uh, especially, and I really uh, appreciate, you know, the work that you're doing, everything you're doing. It's very inspiring. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, talking with you, and hopefully uh, some of your listeners get something out of it. And if people want to get more from you, I know you've got a lot of stuff out there. You are recently interviewed by our mutual friend, Natalie Sisson. I know you have uh, some other features you've done. Now, where do you recommend people go to engage with what you've got going on? 
Yeah, if you if you go to uh, my website, I mean, of course, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram and and everything. But uh, if you go to my website, all the links are there to all my social media, to my Safari company and whatnot. So just go to scottbrills.com. That's B-R-I-L-L-S, scottbrills.com, and uh, you'll find everything there. And and in 2017, I'll be actually writing at least an article a month, uh, whereas I've been kind of slacking on that. So there will be more content to read. <laughs> Okay, excellent. Do you have a media page anywhere, by the way? I'm looking at your site now. Uh, yeah, I have a uh, okay. on the about section, or, or uh, it, it has as seen in. So there's a, a link. Oh, okay. There's links to all of the podcasts I've done and the uh, editorials I've been a part of or that I've written or whatnot. Yeah, because I listened to your interview with our mutual friend Almog on, on Stagnate Podcast, and I was, it was so entertaining. You, know, you, had, you had other stories that you shared. Um, you know, about being on the Mongol rally and, you know, breaking down in Tajikistan. And I want to actually download a few more of these myself because <laughs> uh, you're someone who inspires me and I've done a lot of stuff. So, you know, yeah, going, yeah, def definitely right take, take a look. Take a look. It's uh, some of the stuff may be uh, maybe repeated, but I try to uh, I try to bring up some some more interesting tidbits whenever I do a new uh, a new feature. And I've got I've got a lot of them. Just sometimes it, the trickiest part is like going through in my head and thinking, OK, what would people enjoy hearing about? Like which one of these stories would, would be good at this moment? You know, so um it's tricky. I, I think I should listen to my friends and, and write a book one of these days, but it'll be after I, I do all my business stuff first. Maybe you can just get a ghostwriter and just dictate or something, you know. Hey, I, I've seen you've you've been busy and you've but you've been managed to managed to put out a few books yourself, so I have to get tips from you. <laughs> all right. Well, Scott, I know you're very busy, and I just want to say thank you so much for your time. I know we had to reschedule this interview a couple of times, but I'm so glad that we did. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Good to uh, good to talk with you. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Bye.